let's pray and we'll dive into what the Lord has for us this morning. Father, thank you for the word of God. As I got to see at Wycliffe, we are blessed to have this written word of our Lord in our hands, to be encouraged, disciplined, strengthened, to, to be equipped, God, in what you have called us to do on this earth. Thank you now for the time we have set to hear from your word and to receive a specific, a specific revelation from you, Holy Spirit. Be with my words here this morning. Go before us. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you know, we are a sports family, and I believe that God cares about the big things, but he also cares about the little things. And God showed us this past week how he is still in the little details of life. And, you know, there's a, a hashtag out there called, won't he do it? Won't he do it? When you're just surprised by the faithfulness and the goodness of God, where there was no way something could have happened but God, but then God. And so Gabriel is a basketball star, and, and a year ago, we were really pushing hard because in his heart, he wanted to go D1 basketball, D1 college basketball, which meant we were paying for very specific trainers. He was in AAU, which meant he was on tournament leagues and leagues outside of the normal school uh, seasons, and the trainers that we were paying for and the tournaments that we were going to and the travel ball. I mean, we were spending about $800 to $1,000 a month on a pastor's salary, okay? That was trusting the Lord right there. And as our savings started to dwindle and Gabriel just having so much pressure, we got to the point where we decided this is not what we want to do anymore. And we're great. As long as you're having fun and this is what God is telling you to do, we'll support it. The moment it's no longer fun and the moment you don't feel God leading you, we'll shut it down. No worries. Don't worry about a single thing. You stayed in shape. It kept you out of trouble and so forth. But then he went to school, a uh, brand new school where we didn't care about the basketball program and found out that his uh, PE teacher happened to be the varsity head coach for basketball. And we didn't know also that the summer before he started high school there, Gabriel was working with the trainer in this tiny little gym in Oak Cliff and that coach and his daughter happened to be there as well. So this coach, without us knowing, had been watching my boy play basketball all summer long and just telling him, why aren't you playing basketball? Why aren't you playing basketball? Why aren't you playing basketball? And Gabe was like, nah, 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 I'm just maybe for fun, but not my thing. Well, that desire just kept growing. So he eventually just got on the freshman team, even though he could have been on varsity. He got on the freshman team so that he could be the lead scorer and have fun and just meet some new friends. And then that just started growing. He started playing with the varsity. And then people were like, hey, you need to be on my AAU team. And hey, you should come to our summer league. And he's like, no, no, no. But eventually now he starts coming to us and saying, hey, mom, dad, uh, would it be possible if maybe in the spring or in the summer we can try this tournament ball again? And so we're, we're done with the money. And so we said, okay, fine, sure. But here are the stipulations, okay? Number one, it has to be free. <laughs> Number two, we can't travel outside of the Dallas area. Number three, no games on Sunday for church. If you can get those three things, then sure. Basically, what I told them, you have a one in a million chance that this is going to happen because that doesn't happen. But God. But God. So there's a uh, player on the team uh, whose dad was a coach, and he said, I really want to keep these kids together. I don't want them to go and learn all new stuff from all these different travel balls and tournament balls. So I'm going to keep them together. So I'm going to use my own money and pay for a league and get just the players from his school and keep them together. I'm going to pay for the uniforms, pay for all the tournament fees, pay for all the stuff. So it'll be 100% free. 
for the parents. And we are only going to do tournaments on Saturday with one practice a week, and we're not going to do anything on Sundays. He said, these kids... He said, these kids are going to hear about Jesus, and this is a public high school. These kids are going to hear about Jesus. They're not allowed to use any foul language, and they're going to be in an environment where we encourage one another. I said, wow, (laughs) the heart of generosity and and what somebody would do. But again, it showed me, okay, maybe I'll shut up and stop doubting God because he can do whatever he wants to do. (laughs) We went to the parent night uh, on Thursday uh, just to get information from the coach And I love what he said. He says, even for my son who's on the team, if you want to start, if you want to play, you have to earn it. That means that you have to show up. You have to have a great attitude. You need to have the heart of a champion. He goes, yeah, just because we're going to be playing a a league that doesn't have any real championships and we're playing a a league that doesn't matter, so to say, I still want to win. I said, yes, sir, we do. (laughs) I'm not from a generation on participation trophies. You know, I'm, on, I'm not on this generation where we don't keep score because we don't want feelings hurt. No, this is sports. All your emotions are involved. And, and so I love that he just breathed into this kids that you are champions and you're going to have the attitude of a champion because you are made for more. I said, these kids are going to gain so much from this environment to really fortify their identity and to be an environment of true fellowship and where they can have the hearts of champions. And today, the message God has put on my heart, really the word that I could not get away from all week long is champion, champion. Of course, there's that song, you are my champion. Giants fall when you stand undefeated. God is our champion. Now, one of the definitions of champion, because of course, there's lots of definitions, but one that I love so much is a champion is somebody who has defeated or suppressed every rival. For you are the last one standing. So I read my scripture and I see 1 John 3, 8, where the reason the Son of Man came was to destroy the works of the enemy. Hebrews 2, 14, he rendered the devil powerless. Romans 6, 9, where Jesus conquered the grave and death no longer has dominion over him. My God, my champion has defeated every rival. We serve a God who is champion, but in the kingdom of God, there are no participation trophies. We're not called to praise our heavenly father who is champion and walk around like he didn't make us to be more than a conqueror. And here's the bottom line. Why are we called to be conquerors in this earth, on earth as it is in heaven? Why are we called to be conquerors? Because we were made in the image and the likeness of the one who conquered it all. And I'll read to you. This should be up on the screens as well. Romans 8, 35 through 37. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril of the sword, just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And I love how the New American Standard says, verse 37, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Other translations will say we are more than conquerors. We're not just normal conquerors. We are more than conquerors because of what Christ has accomplished for us. Conquerors are the ones who advance. Like Napoleon, when when he went to conquer a, a nation, he would burn the boats so that there was no plan B. We're advancing. We're on the offense. I heard one story where uh, he went up to a walled city and the king was standing up on top and he said, surrender to us. And he says, why should we surrender to you, Napoleon? 
He's like, this reason. And he points, and his soldiers, one by one, start marching off a cliff to their death. Finally, he stops, and he looks. He's like, that's why. And he saw that these were conquerors who are going to kill and advance by any means necessary, and that king surrendered right on the spot. Now, as believers who have the same power that raised Christ from the dead, who have every authority and dominion in Christ over any evil that's in this world, we are called to be on the offense, not defense. We are called to advance the kingdom of God as it is on earth, as it is in heaven. We are called to respond from the Father, not react to the devil. I saw a couple sermons this past week where uh, the title was something like, tell the devil who you are. I don't want to talk to that chump. I ain't going to waste my breath talking to the devil. The devil is a non-factor in my life and doesn't deserve the breath that I can throw his way. No, I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. I'm going to keep my eyes on the Father. He is a non-factor because he has been defeated, and I won't react to what he does to make my life all miserable and troublesome and so forth. No, I'm ignoring you, and I'm only going to respond from the Father. Jesus only said what the Father said. He only did what he saw the Father doing. My response is to be the same way. When there's a situation, when there's a calling, when there's a problem, Father, what do you say? Okay, and I move forward with that. We are to advance. So God is a champion. He has created us to be conquerors, not complainers. And I wrestle with this so much. (laughs) One, One preacher said that complaining just proves how well you can hear the devil's voice. But complaining, there's just, there's something addicting about complaining. Like, I don't need you to fix my problems. I don't need you to give me, like, actual logical solutions. I don't need that. I just want to complain just to get it off my chest. Is that so bad? Yes, it is, Mr. Negative. (laughs) I'm speaking in my wife's voice right now. (laughs) That's sneaky right there. It's like, but why do you have to say it? Isn't that, like, negative? Isn't that against the word of God? Uh, Don't you preach this stuff, Pastor Rudy, right? (laughs) But if you live a life of complaining, if you live a life of reacting, if you live a life where you're always offended, you're out of control. Because the only thing you can fully control in this world is yourself. Bottom line, we are more than conquerors. But I'm so grateful that God is a God who can sympathize with our needs. We're still frail on this side of eternity We're not perfect yet until we get into heaven. And so he sympathizes and he gives us an example. Jesus came into our world, what we celebrated last week on Easter, and he walked and experienced all the things that you and I would, including temptation and distress from the enemy. So if you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of Luke chapter four. I'm gonna read the famous portion of scripture where Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. 40 in the Bible is the number of testing and trial. You see 40 all over the Bible. Uh, Moses had three seasons of his life of 40. 40 in Egypt, 40 in the wilderness, and then uh, or in hiding, and then 40 in the wilderness. And so Jesus is being led by the Spirit, which is weird. Why would Holy Spirit lead me into danger? Why would the Holy Spirit lead me into problems? Why would the Holy Spirit lead me to be bombarded by the enemy? And the bottom line is that God will only lead you into something he's already given you the victory on, that he's already equipped you to accomplish. Now, sometimes we hit that mark and sometimes we don't, but we are fully equipped when we enter in to those type of places as long as we're holding on to the Holy Spirit. Verse 1, and again, reading out the New American Standard, 
Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when he had, when they had ended, he became hungry. Same Jesus, I would be hungry as well. I'm going to pause real quick there. I just want you to notice a few things. The first is that Jesus, before he went into this journey of 40 days of testing, before he went into 40 days of fasting, it says that he was full of the Holy Spirit. Why would you go on a road trip with an empty tank of gas? It's crazy. Why would you go into any new season of your life empty on the Holy Spirit? Now, in the Greek, that word for full is pretty awesome. That word means that you are covered and complete in the Holy Spirit. So when the Bible says be full of the Holy Spirit, that means I'm covered by his anointing and I I find my completeness in him. But there's a root word to that Greek word for full as well. And it's pretty awesome. That word means fulfilled, fulfilled, like you delight in him. Psalm 63 verse 3 says, your loving kindness, O Lord, is greater than life. So Jesus is covered in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He's full of of him in completeness, and he is fulfilled. He has all of his joy. He's walking into a situation perfectly happy. That's like a millionaire walking into a job he doesn't have to do. It's like, I don't need anything from y'all. I got all the money I need. I'm just here to be happy and to serve. He's going in full and ready, and that's the attitude that believers should really walk around in life. Jesus was baptized in, in the Jordan River, and it says from the, the sky had opened up and audibly the father said, this is my beloved son. In him, I am well pleased. Jesus started his ministry from God's love, not for God's love. And in everything that we do and accomplish in this world, it's the same thing. I'm going from a place of being loved by God. I'm going from a place where he's already pleased with me and I'm full of the Holy Spirit before I launch into something. May we never go into a new season of life empty in the Holy Spirit. And then it says he was also led by the Holy Spirit. So he's full of the Holy Spirit. Now he's being led by the Holy Spirit. And the Greek language there is really cool. It means to bring along. Like, hey, I want to go to Six Flags Magic Mountain. Come along with me. Let's experience this together. Now, I'm, I'm only 38 years old, but I'm really embracing this whole dad culture Like, I don't care about how old my glasses look. I don't care about the cargo shorts I wear every day. My shoes come from Walmart. I love the dad life. It's so refreshing and free, you know, to not care about fashion or what other people think. I I fully embraced it. All 19 of my gray hairs, I fully embraced it. And my family makes fun of me all the time. And their, their newest thing that they tease me about is my hand signals. I talk with my hands. I'm a preacher. So I do the same thing with my family. So if we're going to cross the street, I go out first and and I do this. I'm like, (laughs) and they make fun of me. And sometimes because they're teasing me, I'll go. (laughs) You know, there's something poking out on the ground. Uh, I'll say, guys, right here. Hey, watch out. Tripping hazard. Tripping hazard. Okay, move around it. The last time we had snow and ice. Currently, we live on the third story of an apartment complex, and so going to drop Gabriel off from school, we're going around the corner of the stairs. I'm like, Gabriel, you can't see it right here, but right here, that's solid ice. Don't slip right here. Go around that. So now he teases me. 
Now he teases me and he goes, oh, father, father, right here, father, be careful, here, father, be careful. We were running errands yesterday, and as we're running errands, um, he was in in the front, uh, ready to cross the parking lot to the other side of the store that we needed to go to. He was in the front. I was the rear guard, uh, dad, I'm the rear guard. And so he says, dad, we're about to cross the street, where where are your signals? I'm like, oh, son, you've taken on the challenge. This is for you. And so he's out there like a dad, you know. Just teasing you. But when I was reading chapter 4 and Jesus being led by the Spirit, God has a sense of humor, and he kept bringing that to my attention. Now, can you imagine walking in life, whatever you're doing, whatever ministry he's given to you, whatever issue is going on, that you are having the Holy Spirit bringing you along? Holy Spirit's like, hey, watch out here. Hey, hey, whoa, hold, slow down there a second. Hey, come on, stop being afraid. Let's go. I'm with you. That's being led by the Holy Spirit. It's relational. It's intentional. So Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. Then he was led by the Holy Spirit. Let's continue on here in verse 3. It says, And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Some versions here say, Since you are the Son of God. This version said, If you are the Son of God. Either way, I feel like the devil is constantly trying to bring doubt and confusion. So you're the son of God, but here you are lacking. Well, if you actually are the Messiah, then why why are you showing yourself to be hungry? So he's constantly bringing this doubt. Verse 4, and Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I can give it to whomever I wish. Now, that's true. Adam and Eve had dominion and authority on the earth. They had the keys of the kingdom of God. And when they sinned in their own free will, symbolically, they handed the keys over to the enemy. So this is still Old Testament. Jesus hadn't gone to the cross yet. So the devil is operating his Old Testament power with the keys, and Jesus would soon defeat him. And the Bible says that he gladly gives us the keys of the kingdom again, and it can no longer be ruined. So the enemy here is trying to tempt Jesus with, look, you don't have to go to the cross. I can just give you the keys right now, but you have to worship me. And of course, in in other gospels, he says, get behind me, Satan. I will worship the Lord uh, alone. But in verse seven, therefore, if you worship before me, it shall be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. It's sad when demons know more scripture than many believers. The devil knows this this Bible front and back. He can quote it to you like nothing else. And a really good lie is just a tiny tiny bit of a lie inside of a truth. You know, you, you don't rob a, a place by using counterfeit money with money that looks like counterfeit, like monopoly money. You use something that looks like it is the real thing, but it's fake. That's what the devil does. He'll use an almost truth, but just a tiny bit of a lie just to get, get you and get you confused. And finally, these last couple verses. And Jesus answered and said to him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test, And when the devil had finished every temptation, that's why Jesus' champion, he defeated every rival. He left them until an opportune time. 
And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the surrounding district. So Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit, and then after that, he was led by the Holy Spirit, and he stood on the word of God, and the enemy could not win. So then he came back to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's my prayer for us all, that we can do the exact same thing, full of his Spirit, led by his Spirit, now moving in the power of his Holy Spirit. So a couple little bits of encouragement here before we wind down and keeping our perspective on, on the Lord. We must have down into the depths of our heart. Point number one, he is our champion. Even when circumstances don't line up. Bad circumstances are just the devil trying to give an opportunity to change your mind about how you think of God. Bottom line. So I can't explain why things happen in this world. I don't know why bad things happen to good people. I don't know why when I lay hands on the sick, sometimes they don't recover. But that's not a question that Jesus ever asked, and that's not a sermon he ever taught. He never showed us what you do when it doesn't work. So I'm not going to question it. I'm only going to aim high and believe for him and not allow my heart to be changed if, if the circumstances say it, something else. I remember as a worship leader from Jesus Culture and uh, they were pregnant and getting ready to deliver their third child, their first son. But the baby died. And they were believing for a resurrection in the womb. They were believing for it, but they deliver a dead baby. And, and obviously, this family was completely devastated. And in the middle of that pain, they chose to put on praise. And from that came an awesome song by Jesus Culture called Miracles. And the, the tagline, basically, it says, I believe in you. I believe in you. You're the God of miracles. And they're just going through how he still raises the dead and, and, and gives sight to the blind. And he says, my testimony and my praise will not change based on this pain. God is our champion. And I, I encourage us that in the times when it doesn't make sense that we still got to have a, a total belief in our heart that we are utterly convinced that God doesn't fail and his faithfulness is for all eternity. Let me just read to you real quick. This is not in the uh, notes and it's not in the uh, overhead there. But in Deuteronomy chapter 4, this is one of the books that Jesus quoted the most. There's so much power and wisdom in the book of Deuteronomy. And in verse, I'll start back at verse 29. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search for him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things have come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and listen to his voice. For the Lord your God is compassionate. He will not fail you nor destroy you nor forget the covenant with your fathers which he had sworn to them. Amen. Well, let, let me make it clear to you, Siri. I just said, my God doesn't fail. That was awesome. Of course you don't understand Siri. Siri still needs to give her, her life to the Lord. She's not saved yet. She's still drunk on GPS and still doesn't understand the Savior, but she'll get there. But we have to be convinced in our heart that the praise on our lips never changes from God, you are faithful. God, you will never fail me. I don't care what happened or what didn't happen. God, you will never fail me. The second, he is champion, but we are conquerors. He is champion and we are conquerors. And we can't sit idly and sit on our hands as believers who have been given all the blessing of heaven and the power of the Holy Spirit that has resurrection power. 
I remember a substitute teacher, he was like 87 years old, and I was probably in middle school at the time. And he comes in, and his first sentence in like a math class was that Michael Jordan was a bad player. And we said, okay, we got one of those substitutes. He's lost his mind. And he goes, Tiger Woods is a horrible golfer. I'm like, what? Man, you're crazy. And he goes, no, no, no. They do the bare minimum. They get the ball in the net, the ball in the hole. They, they go out there and they're better than everybody else. But it's not because they're perfect or exceptional. It's that they're just average. But everyone else plays so poorly, the ones that are average look like superstars. So what if the Joyce Myers and the Billy Grahams and the Martin Luther King Juniors and all these, what if they're just operating as they should, as children of God, proclaiming what God has put on their heart, but the rest of the kingdom of God, the rest of the body of Christ, the rest of the church is sitting by so idly that the ones who do anything look like superstars, you know? And, and God, God's not calling you to change the whole world. He already did that. He's just calling you to share his love. He's just calling you to be a good neighbor. He's calling you that when he speaks to your heart, you will not be afraid, but you'll actually step out and do what he's called you to do. Because God will only call you to where you have victory. And he'll put you in places that you already have the skill for. That's why the champion, Goliath, in 1 Samuel 17, is walking out there taunting everybody. And nobody will step up. But this little ruggedy 14-year-old kid, which isn't it amazing, that David, in chapter 16, was anointed king, but in chapter 17, he fought Goliath. David was king with a new identity before he fought the giant. I always, thought around, I always thought he was this little boy who killed a giant, and then ultimately, he became king. And then one day, I open up my Bible, and I see a title in chapter 16 and a title in 17, David kills Goliath, David anointed king. I said, whoa. So he went in with that confidence. He had sheep wool still on him, and he says, when I used to be a shepherd... But today, I'm a giant killer. He says, all y'all punks over here, you little scaredy cats, today, I'm chopping your head off, nine foot nine tall giant, chopping your head off, and the birds are going to eat up your flesh, and I'm never paying taxes again. I get the king's daughter, so you're about to die, buddy. (laughs) And he went out there with the slingshot, and in the name of the Lord, you come at me with sword and javelin, I come at you in the spirit of the Lord Almighty. But see, it wasn't just a miracle that God did for this little boy to kill a giant. That was a miracle. But David was no scrawny little kid. He was a slinger. Now, I uh, I don't watch a lot of TV, but I do watch a lot of YouTube channels. I'm a researcher. I watch a lot of gun channels. I'm I'm that kind of guy. And one of the the gun channels I watch, somebody wanted to take a a 38 caliber pebble, basically, a, a lead ball, and put it in a long slingshot and check the velocity and see if it was similar, you know, to to a gun. And so he did, it kind of was close. It would hurt you pretty bad, but it probably wouldn't kill you. Well, they say, and remember, David picked up small, smooth stones. Now, in in ancient times in the military, with artillery and their infantry and all that, David would have been trained as one of the slingers. Rotations that were absolutely crazy. And when this ball came out, scholars say that it was as fast as 950 feet per second. That's basically a 45. All right, David didn't have a slingshot. He had a Glock, okay? (laughs) And he was prepared. That's why the Bible says that that stone sunk in his forehead. It may not have gone through him like a bullet, but it sure killed him. And so David went in there in the spirit, but with his skill. God is our champion. We are conquerors. And everything that we do in the name of God should be with the spirit and with the skill that he has given to us. Be natural in how God wants to use you because he does.
And finally, we see that God is our champion. We are the conquerors, but the devil is a crook. The devil is a crook. He's a liar. And he will always be a liar. That's his language, is lies. There's a story that came out of a zoo. This man was just riding his bike through the, the zoo, just checking everything out, getting some exercise. And he noticed off to the side, a little girl was playing near the, the fence of the lions. And the mom and dad weren't paying attention. Little girl gets too close, and a lion actually got a claw on this little girl's jacket and pulled her in. Now, obviously, that's a bad situation. So this guy is on the bike, and he notices that the parents aren't paying attention. He jumps off his bike. He goes there, punches the lion square in the nose. The lion's like, okay, backs off, and he's able to rescue the little girl. He didn't notice that there was a journalist standing by doing articles on, on the zoo, and she says, that was incredible. He goes, well, I was just doing what any person would do. And this man, he had a, a Bible sticking out of his pocket. And so she's like, you have a Bible. Are, are you a believer? He goes, yeah, I, I love the Lord. And I just will allow him to use me in any way, shape, or form. And so they said, this is incredible. The, the world needs to know about your good deed. He's like, no, that, that's okay. He's like, no, I'm a journalist. Tomorrow morning on the front page of the paper, this story needs to be told. He's like, okay. So the next day, uh, this bicyclist Christian uh, goes over to a, a newsstand. He sees the paper. He pulls it up. And sure enough, his story was on the front page. And it said, right-wing Christian fundamentalist assaults African immigrant and steals his lunch. <laughs> Y'all thought it was a true story. <laughs> the devil's a liar and so is the media. Because <laughs> the media has an agenda. The media wants to tell you something so it can convince you to move in a certain direction and to live in fear. The devil is no different. He's a crook. God is champion, and we can never let, he will never fail me out of our heart. We have to take on the role as a conqueror and saying, I'm, whatever he tells me to do, I will not have fear. I will trust in him. But we also have to keep our defense up. We can't allow the devil to speak. We can't even talk to him. The devil has been made powerless. The devil has no more dominion but he still has an influence. Like a death row inmate who is behind bars and his fate is sealed can still scare you if you allow it to. So we gotta allow ourselves to not let that influence happen and not let the devil's agenda be used on us and our own power against us to do his will. Only our eyes on him. And I'll pray here and finish with this. Um, Mother Teresa is one of my heroes. Not so much because of her sermons or her teachings or her books or her compassion, but how she was able to withstand. I don't know how somebody could do this. Holding babies until they die. People who were left for dead by their own family. No hope. There's no, no resources, simple things to help save these people's lives. So in her heart, she says, I will dedicate the rest of my life to hold these people so when they die, they won't die alone. And one reporter asked her once and said, so tell us, what is the secret to your success? How are you able to withstand the pressure and the sheer weight of seeing death so often? And she says, it has nothing to do with success. God never called me to success. He called me to faithfulness. Bottom line. And so I want us to have that incredible, convincing truth that my God is able. My God will never fail me. My God is champion. And I am his conqueror, the ambassador of Christ clothed in authority from on high. 
I will not allow the enemy to influence me in any way, shape, or form. And I'm not after the fame. I'm not after money. I'm not after recognition. I'm not after even my own needs and comfort. God, you have called me to faithfulness. And I want to pursue you with all that is in my heart. You never fail me. Father, thank you for your goodness and your strength, your power. Thank you that the psalmist can cry out and say that your loving kindness is better than life. Jesus in the midst of the wilderness could be fulfilled in the Holy Spirit. That even food wasn't of a greater desire and satisfaction than your presence, Holy Spirit. And I pray this week that we would experience the same things. God, I know that many of us have studied the Bible for years and years and years. But you want to continue to show yourself, reveal more dimensions of your presence and of your love for us. I pray, God, this week that we would see you in in even a greater depth of a perspective of your love. I pray that you would equip us more and more with bravery and and just sensitivity to what's around us and to where you want to use us. Thank you, God, as we began in praying this morning over healing, over breakthrough, over comfort, over peace. Thank you that you have begun a work and you will be faithful to complete a work. We love you and we thank you that we can create a space here for the freedom of you, Holy Spirit, to move. Now would you bless my friends and fill them up with your fullness, your goodness. Guide them for the next few days as, as they go about a brand new week. Give them the strength that they need and the perspective, God, of being completely on your face. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. We'll have some people up here who would love to pray for you if you have any need for prayer or just need hands laid on or want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. All that good stuff can happen. Other than that, have a blessed and a wonderful day.